Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. How are you doing? My name is Lucas. Again, if uh, if you're new, just want to welcome you to church and say how happy are we you're here today, that you're spending your Sunday morning with us. You could be in a lot of places, but you chose to be here, and so bless you for that. We trust this can be encouraging to you. Um, we are ending a series today, like Pastor Chris said. We've tackled all sorts of questions, and not just questions we asked Jesus but also questions that Jesus has asked us. And so we spent like four or five weeks there, kind of went through Easter, and now we find ourselves kind of tackling four big questions that we as humans in this cultural moment have been asking God, ask Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? How, God, do you even care? Like, God, give me a sign. Questions that all of us ask. And so today we are tackling a big one. Um, what is truth? Is this question mentioned from Pilate to Jesus in the book of John? And we'll get there. We'll read all about that. But this question, what is truth, of course, sounds big. It is big. In fact, I have been overwhelmed by the amount of content that I've been consuming in preparation for this. There's just so much thought, philosophical thought, emotional thought. There is, there is theology. There's so many pieces to this. So I just want you to know a few things off the top. One, I'm going to do my very best. I'm not a professor. I'm just a preacher. I am a follower of Jesus and someone who wants to uh, share the good news of the cross. And that is, that is my stance for sure. Obviously, I'm coming with that pretext here. It is my heart to articulate it, the, it, both an answer to the actual question as well as a, the message, the goodness of God. What is truth? And I want you to know, I, I, I ask you to just examine yourself a little bit, to just take a moment and consider your worldview, whatever you walk in here with, to ask yourself, okay, how do I see the world? Um, and how, why do I see the world in that way? And I've had to do the same thing. I've been examining that a little bit too in my own, again, preconceived notions and how do I examine the world and what is my worldview? And so if we can, if we really can, try our best to put aside maybe um, prejudices and perspectives and find in the middle this really beautiful message and honestly conversation that goes between a man named Pilate and Jesus. Um, it's funny, as a dad, I'm always trying to get to the bottom of truth. You know, Bo and Georgia, lately, actually, quite literally, we just were talking about this recently. It just feels like our kids hate each other right now. Is that six and four, it's just like, it's not as, it's just crazy in the house a little bit. And so I'm constantly like, there's a fight happening downstairs and we run downstairs and it's like, what's happening? And, and Georgia, obviously, being Georgia, has this elaborate story she needs to tell me. Okay, okay, dad, daddy, okay, listen, this is my truth. And it's like, whoa. Georgia, postmodernism. Come on, what are we talking about? Like, I don't want to know your story or your truth. Georgia, what happened? And Bo, on the other hand, is just like, dad, 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 no, 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 no. He makes more sounds than he says words, right? Just like, mm, uh, mm, uh, like he's grunting a lot. And then finally, me and Trina are in the middle of it, and, and we kind of become like referees. You ever been that, parents? Or whatever, like you've been in a situation where two people have opposing ideas and you're like, okay, hold on, that's a technical foul, you get a turn now, you're going to have five minutes and you start, actually Trina has this great idea and we start just taking money from our kids if they want us to ref them. It's true, it's true. We'll be like, what's the argument? Okay, that'll be two bucks. If you need me to come in, that'll be two bucks. Otherwise, deal with it. I don't even care anymore. 
and I just, we just walk away. They pay up, friends. I know where her unicorn bank is, and some, once in a while, Grandpa will put a 20 in there, and so we'll just take that out, and that'll be ice cream fund. My ice cream fund, not a family fund, that's for... I'm, I know I'm not the only person, not just in the perspective of a parent, but even the only person who deals with that on a regular day basis with a boss or a friend or a coworker or in class or whatever it may be. Two opposing thoughts. And we, are, we find ourselves in this philosophical complex world, an emotionally driven yet shallow time, a technologically ran society, which often makes it a dishonest society, Everything and everyone feels, right? And, and therefore, what is felt feels like, you know, is my reality. And so if something is my reality, it is the reality. And this has become basic logic in 2022 in a post-truth world, friends. Yes, that's right. Journalists and philosophers and thinkers are now coining not, we went from modernism to post-modernism to post-truth. Meaning that whatever is, just is. And we are past the day and age of absolute truth. And we are in a place where everything and everyone feels what they feel. Therefore, that is the truth. And rather than facts driving us, rather than proven properties that make up a proof, the truth has found a very odd footing in our culture, hasn't it? Those who leave, this is a quote from G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, excuse me, those who leave the tradition of truths do not escape into something which we call freedom. He says this, they only escape into something else which we call fashion. What he's saying here is that in culture we can redefine all we want, but it's not actually making us more progressive or powerful. We're simply falling towards trends. And we're just saying whatever is in the moment. Friends, truth is not a trend. Again, I need to make sure that you hear this. I'm going to do my best to... to walk through what I think is complex stuff, but I am a preacher. I love the good news of Jesus. I believe when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, he meant it, that he is the embodiment of truth. And that is what what I am here to share and talk about. Truth is not a trend. We'll get to that more later. We're going to be in the book of John today, chapter 18 and 19. Um, There's a blue Bible in front of you. I think it's like 878, 879, that page, or it'll be up on the screen. But before we get there, before we get there, I want to just give you a lot of context. And the reason why is because this is actually a very interesting moment for Jesus. So he's had, the Last Supper has happened, and he's, he's now, you know, he's gone to the garden to pray, and he's now been arrested, betrayed by his very close friend Judas. He goes to a high priest, and then he eventually finds his way to Pilate. In that moment, though, Pilate is warned by his uh, wife who says, no, no, I had a dream about this. Do not, don't deal with this. Like, do anything you can to stay away. So then Pilate, who's a governor, yeah, he's basically a governor, he's a prefect, but he's a governor um, who kind of rules over now like like a specific part of land, and there's different governors all over. Caesar, obviously, Rome is kind of ruling from England to India. And so he actually sends him off to Herod. Because again, the political climate right now is, is very fragile. And so King Herod is around, and Caesar decided to give him like a fourth of Galilee into this little section. And because he finds out Jesus is from Galilee, He's like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't get my hands in this mess. So he sends him off to Herod. And then Jesus goes to Herod, and Herod tries asking him some questions, and Herod gets nothing in response. The Bible says that Jesus was silent. So they made fun of him. They slapped him, they put robe on him, and they sent him back. The Bible literally says that his soldiers mocked Jesus, and instead of freeing this innocent man, Herod sent him back to Pilate, 
And now Pilate is in this place, and he's the one who has the power to crucify Jesus. So why so much context to, you know, the next 12, 13, 14 verses we'll read? Because I find when I read that, we already see a clash of the subjective and objective truth even in this story. Everyone knows Jesus is innocent. He is at no fault. He has done nothing wrong. Yet everyone is scared of the consequences of dealing with it. The consequences of the truth, the fact that Jesus has done nothing wrong. He loved people. He, he challenged people. He ate with the prostitute and the Pharisee. He healed many. He fed the 5,000. He's done all of these things. And now they're putting him up on a cross. Nobody acts. Nobody sees the truth and says, well, what's going on? They're all just trying to stay away from it, except the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, who are doing everything they can to not actually have to kill them with their own hands, which we'll read about in a minute. Everyone's ignoring the truth. And friends, can I just say this? Ignoring the truth doesn't make you free of it. Ignoring the truth does not make you free of the truth. In life, we are often faced, again, with two options, two stories, two opposing views on a topic. And what is our job as a Christian? You know, not even, like, if you would even not, maybe for you today, you say, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I don't even know if it's our job just as Christians, but as humans, we should want to know the truth, right? We should want to ask the hard question and discover what is accurate about whatever it is we want to search out. See, the truth is, I think, that we often know the truth, but we don't value the truth. And knowing the truth is not as important right now in culture as valuing it. We often know it. We know what's right, what's wrong. We have a very good idea of what we should do or shouldn't do. But to value it and to let it truly be, uh, to help us discern our every action is very different. Herod knew the truth. Pilate knew the truth. These Jewish leaders knew the truth. But they didn't value it. They didn't. Knowing the truth did not seem as important as valuing the truth right now. And that is a scary place to be. Jews, people, high priests, kings, governors all knew Jesus was innocent. Pilate literally says it almost virtually. In every one of the Gospels, you can read this story. So you can know and not care. Because caring is the action that actually precipitates value in action. So now we read all the context. Here we go. Page 878 in that blue Bible in front of you. Screens behind you. If you're in your Bible, that's great. John 18, starting in verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. I know I just gave you so much context, and now I'm stopping one verse in. I'm sorry. But I just, the, the hypocrisy or the irony here is so thick. The Jewish leaders didn't want to, to become ceremonial unclean for the Passover while they were doing an undercover mission to murder the Passover personified. Hear me for a moment. Jesus came to pass over our sin. Like he, he died for us and now the wrath of God, there's nothing on us because of what Jesus did. And the Passover, like what they're celebrating, what they're actually foreshadowing in this moment is Jesus. And they don't want to get unclean so they'll murder the one who has come to set them free. 
and we say this a lot at church, and I, I know I'm always thinking about when I'm prep and preach the inner Pharisee in me. This is what happens, friends, when we get, we're so subjective in our own thinking and reality. The, the, the Jewish leaders wanted the Messiah to look like this, but in fact, he actually came and looked like that, right? They wanted a, a guy who would come and defeat the Romans in the military, and he came humble, and he came, he came meek. And they wanted someone to say these things, but he actually spoke like this. And he didn't look the way they expected him to look. Instead, he came as fullness of grace and the fullness of truth, the Bible says. And they wanted to hide it. They wanted to capture it. They wanted to get rid of it because it threatened their power, their pride, their prejudice. And instead, Jesus stood there and took it all because he knew all of this. And people far beyond this moment needed him as a savior. The weight here is so heavy. You can sense it in the text. Friends, the truth is not always comfortable and it's often confronting. That doesn't mean we don't deal with it. There's a great quote by Mary Flannery O'Connor. She's a brilliant writer. She, she died way too young. The truth does not change according to your ability to stomach it, she wrote. And I think that's so true. So verse 29. Sorry, I'm one verse in. We'll get going, I promise. Here we go. So Pilate came... He came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against him? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. We have no right, they said, to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Again, for context, Jesus had done no wrong. And so if they, if they, if they charged him with blasphemy, they would have had to literally themselves stone Jesus to death. But if they get the Romans to charge him with treason, their hands are clean and he's crucified, which is much worse. Pilate then went in, again, he went inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him this. And I like this. He takes him inside. He's like, get away. I don't want to talk to anyone but Jesus. Maybe he's got a guard or two. And he has a one-on-one conversation. Here comes our question. Are you the king of the Jews, the Bible says? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Really quick, I think there's a lesson here for the, for the believers in the house, the people who consider themselves Christians. Um, from what I'm reading and studying and seeing, like, I think there's an earnestness about Pilate. I think he gets away from everything and he brings over Jesus and he says, are you really who they say they are? What, are you the king of the Jews? What does that mean exactly? And Jesus says, why are you asking that? Tell me more about your curiosity. I think sometimes we as Christians get so excited, right? We have a moment with the Lord. It's a first Wednesday, right? It's powerful. It's relevant. We experience the Holy Spirit, and we're just on fire. And that next day, we're like, you know what? I feel good. I'm for sure going to save my boss today or something, right? Like we get, we get really excited. And so we kind of see someone in our vicinity, someone in our influence who we want to really like talk to about the truth and the gospel. And we get a little crazy. And sometimes I do it too. And I want to just bash someone over the head with my Bible and be like, Jesus loves you. Figure it out. You know, like we just want to, we just want to get at it like this. And I think in this moment, Pilate's asking an honest question. And sometimes we're just like, ah. <laughs> we want to just get at it. I, uh, I, really love, I really love to scare people. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I do. <laughs> Especially at work. 
Like, it's really fun to scare Pastor Lisa. Like, it's, it gives me great joy. <laughs> and this is the best part. Like, I, and people who, you know, work here, around here, they know, like, and, and it's fun. It truly gives me joy in my soul. And so once in a while, I'll see them walking, right? They'll be coming around the corner from, if you've been in our office, you know. And so, you know the best part is? When I wave to them before I do it. So I'm in the office pretending to do something, and then I, no, I'm kidding, I do work. And then they come around the corner, and I wave to them. You know, it's, oh, hey, hey. And this is kind of what we do, right? We're like, I see you. And the best part is they wave, and then they go back to the ground because they got to go around that corner. And then, of course, I do like a military grade, drop to the ground, full turnover, and then I hide under the window. And then I just, all I have to do sometimes is just pop up, like just with the eyes. I did it to Andy once, to pay right off. Not even kidding. It's fake. It's not real. True story. I'm just kidding. That was a dream I had. Because this guy. You know how many, I've made so many jokes about balding. You know how many people are sending me like ointments and packages to help this? Leave it alone. It's God's plan, okay? And we kind of are like this, where we like jump at people. Let me tell you about the gospel. Rather than waiting, and I think it would be so profound as followers of Jesus, rather than scaring them with the Savior, (laughs) that we would be calm, like Jesus was in this moment, that we would be courteous, that we would um, be curious about the curiosity that's in front of us, So when we get questions like, is God real? How do you trust the Bible? Does God love gay people? That we wouldn't pounce and jump. But as Jesus here, who I know he knows where he's going, but guys, this man holds his life in his hands and he's calm, he waits. And I think it's important for us to understand someone's perspective, attachment, and potentially their trauma to whatever question they're asking. Because you know what? Jesus does the same thing with us in our journey, and I think it's the job of the believer to do the same thing as people process and come in their journey to truth. So let's be like as comforting and loving and nurturing as God is with us amidst our sin, that we would have conversations and dialogue and loving, like loving moments with people where we say, hey, I'm... I have an answer to that question. I'd love to answer that question, actually. That's what I often say, because I'll get so excited, and I want to pounce, and I'll be like, I would love to answer your question, but first, why the question? Is it because of this? And and I'll just try and ask and understand. Let's continue. Verse 36, my kingdom, this is what Jesus, how Jesus responds to this. Again, the question was, what is it you have done? Your people have handed you over to me. Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from, excuse me, but my kingdom is from another place. You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world, please hear this, is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And here's the question. What is truth? Pilate responds. With this, he went out again, and the Jews gathered there and said, he said this, I find no basis for a charge against him. So we have like three large statements by Jesus. His kingdom is bigger than just land or military or power, right? 
that, that he, people want control, but Jesus is saying, no, I, I want to provide growth in the hearts of, of, of the people. That's the gospel. He said, I came to testify to the truth. What does he mean there? He's saying, listen, I know who I am. I'm Jesus. Like, I know who I am. I came to, for you. I came to testify to the truth. And the truth is, your sinner is in need of a savior. The truth is, you're hurting people who need help. You are condemned and need a comforter. You are restless in need of a rescuer. You need a savior. I know who I am. I have come to testify to that and to show you who you need. And it's, it's me. He knew who he was. He came to speak truth, to be truth. He is truth. And he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Wow. Imagine saying that today. And then Pilate responds, what is truth? And the question is, like, does he, does he care? Because he asks a question and then just walks, the Bible says, and goes in response to the Jewish leaders. So is he the first, like, postmodernist? Is that what's happening where he's saying all truth is relative? What is truth? I don't know. I think, again, I have always felt Pilate is earnest and honest with his position in society. Please hear this. The pressure of being under Caesar in that city, I think Pilate could never afford to seek truth, but he was only able to obey the rhetoric by which he was placed under. I think this is important to note because I think the truth is that many people are not looking for the truth. We assume maybe as a Christian that everyone wants to hear it. No, not, not necessarily. Many people are, are very much okay to just sit in where they are, to live in where they are, to deal with what they have. Life has enough moments already, right? Like we sang. And that's what's so powerful about Jesus is that he wants to tr transform every moment. That there is no mundane with a God who loves you so much that he wants to bring life and life to the full. That our God wants to walk with you day in and day out and be a lamp unto your feet. That our God sees you in every moment, in every mistake and says, I want to be with you. For him, I think he's just like, listen, I have a life I'm dealing with. I have Caesar. I got things. What is truth, man? Who cares what, like, we don't have time for that. And Jesus is saying, no, this is very important because with all the life pressure we have and our preconceived notions and our upbringing, you multiply that by social media, you get apathetic, truth-starved culture. And it's not a value we seek after. It comes second to whatever it is. And although Pilate knows this isn't right, he's about to face the mob. He's about to face the pressure. He's about to get it. <laughs> and so he says, what is truth? And he walks away, although he's in front of the embodiment, the personification of truth. Wow. So verse 39. Now we're going to read a bunch of scripture. Verse 39. He comes out. He talks to the crowd. He says, I find no basis to charge them. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. This is chapter 19 now, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. These, these four or five verses always hit me. I know it's not Easter, but this is, our, this is our king. This is Jesus. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in, in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of Jews, as they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you. 
to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Again, he repeats it. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. What he's really doing here is, look, I took care of it. We beat him up. He's flogged. We embarrassed him. We've hit him. We've ridiculed him. What more do you want? There's nothing against this guy. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. For as for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, please hear this, verse, verse eight, he was even more afraid. So the crowd has flip-flopped. Hey, we don't want to deal with it. Hey, he, he's doing treason. He didn't do anything else seven verses later. We have a law that he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. See, now they're close. See how fast the crowd and the mob mentality switches when it fits their rhetoric, when it fits a rhetoric, when it fits your rhetoric. How quickly do we jump on that train, right? Pilate tries to appease them by flogging Jesus in hopes that it'll be enough. He gives his opinion multiple times on the matter. And so although he knows the truth and Jesus deserves to be released, he still goes ahead with punishment. Why? because he's more concerned with people and their applause of him. He's more concerned with what the world will say about him than what the truth says about the moment. He is so, like, under pressure by Caesar and the Jewish leaders and the people shouting and everything around him. He's got to make a decision. The truth is here. Everyone is saying this, and he doesn't know what to do. And I think often this is the case for us. Paul's not alone in this. I've been there. Where we want to bend our ethics and our values to fit the cultural narrative to appease people rather than the person of Jesus. That we are scared at the evolution of ethics, if you will, despite the ethical truth that God has spoken over us, to us, given us. I'm going to say something I, I know many people may disagree with in this room, but it I believe it to be the truth is that all truth is exclusive. All truth in itself is exclusive. Truth by its very definition excludes the opposite side that it is at the thing it is advocating for. My shirt is blue. Some may say it is sky or ocean or whatever periwinkle. I don't know, ladies, you tell me. Like, uh, there's Roy G. Biv. That's what we got. Okay, that's all I know. Like, but you take a picture of it in a different angle. Or over there with the lights, it may look a different shade. And so we argue about something that is so clearly blue. It's not white. When I say it is blue, it means it is not black. It is not gray. It is blue. Jesus claims to be the truth. He makes a, an extremely exclusive claim. And as a Christian, you have to understand that. John 14, the, one of the most like, well-known verses. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I am a partial truth. I am a potential truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is one way to the Father, and it is through me. That is an exclusive claim he makes. And by the way, all religions are exclusive in this way. Even as an atheist, you're saying, if this is you, you would say, there is no God. That is an exclusive claim to say there is a certain amount of things here that I believe. These are certain things that I don't believe. Exclusive claim. 
This isn't like, we don't have to wrestle this through too much. He's not giving you many ways to go. He's claiming an absolute truth, you guys. All truth is relative. All truth is, you know, my truth is your truth. No, 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 no. The claim that all truth is relative is an absolute claim saying, saying that nothing is absolute. It is a logical fallacy. We cannot go in life thinking this way. You're making a truth statement. When you say all truth is relative or my truth is just mine and you have to, no, 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 no. You're making a true statement that encompasses all truths, then saying that none of them are true. Truth by very, this is a quote, truth by definition is exclusive. Everything cannot be true. If everything is true, then nothing is false. And if nothing is false, then it would also be true to say everything is false, therefore my shirt is rainbow. Right? You see what I'm saying here? This is important. Pilate is so concerned with getting it right with people, he ignores truth. Truth. The most valuable thing in the world is truth. Churchill said that. God is truth, and truth is God. Gandhi said that. And yet today we find ourselves unpacking if anything can be true. Trying to fit a narrative rather than packing the person of Jesus who, like I said, is the embodiment of truth. And, and so we find ourselves in this final moment as I wrap up, as I close. This is the final few verses. John 19, verse 8, it says, When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. I already read that, right? Remember? He was afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. I can just see it. Anger rising up. Nervousness. He has to make a decision. Everyone's saying, everyone's claiming all these things. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answers, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So interesting. And then verse 12 says, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. I don't know. A lot of scholars differ if, if there was a switch in Pilate there. But the Bible says from then on, he tried to set him free. He did everything he could when Pilate heard this. He brought Jesus out, sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. Again, the day of preparation of Passover. And here comes Jesus. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate said. We have no king but Caesar. Again, switching narratives so that they can get what they want. Finally, Pilate handed them over to be crucified. Two main thoughts for you as I close. Two main ideas, thoughts for you as I close. Pilate's battle was twofold. Like, his nature created a bit of an apathetic attitude towards accepting truth and fighting for it and dealing with it. And his surroundings and environment and the crowd made it just harder to live out truth. Because there was a mission to kill Jesus here. It didn't matter what truth was. I think what's so interesting here is the truth of Pilate's heart. We as humans, we desire acceptance and affirmation so much. And as people, we desire to 
be inclusive and encourage and avoid any and all conflict possible. So when we talk about the truth, we instantly feel like we're being exclusive. We instantly feel like we're being discouraging. We're hurting someone. We're putting at odds with someone. Friends, we can't live in a world where tiptoe around each other, avoiding the very thing that may just bring us together. We have to come to be pilot, to know the truth, to look at truth, to see truth, and not listen to the voice shouting outside. Pilate never really got his answer, did he? He said that question, and then he walked away, and I promised you a bit of an answer. So how do I end something so big, so vast, so confronting? I know many of you are asking this question, and I, I want to answer it in two ways. One, I want to give you what I would believe is an academic sort of theoretical answer for you. Why am I giving you this? One, because it is, it is for sure one of the things that absolutely changed my life Every day as I would walk into Philosophy 101 at UVic, and my professor would do anything he could to berate, to belittle, to even, in fact, mock Christianity. And as I searched and as I Googled, and I would go to the library and drink chamomile tea thinking it had caffeine in it, and it just made me really sleepy. <laughs> I should tell you that every morning. You really like chamomile? It's 7.50 in the morning. And I would listen to anyone and everything didn't matter about denomination at that point. Did Billy Graham, old tapes of R.C. Sproul, and Jay Packer, and Ravi, and, and so I'm just, this is a com combination of so many smart minds and wonderful people, and as I heard this, and as I questioned, and as I tested, and as I looked, I find this to be very accurate. At the end of the day, Every person in here, our worldview, your worldview, my worldview, has to answer four questions that ring true in the heart of every soul on earth. The questions are about origin. Where did we come from? Where did this all start? Morality, right, wrong, good, evil. Purpose, what is my purpose? Why, why in here do I feel this deep, innate desire to chase after, to go after, to love? What, what's the answer to that feeling, that, that notion in here? And of course, destiny. What happens after all this? Origin, morality, purpose, destiny. But you can't just throw together whatever answers and there you go, you have a world you know. Academically, they need to correspond with one another, correspondence theory. That they actually have to correspond to reality and to each other's answers. Secondly, they have to be coherent. Meaning, they can't be like logical fallacies. They have to be logically sensible and reasonable for you and I to agree and understand on. Thirdly, they have to have empirical data, like historical backing up of resources that point to the very thing you're attesting to. And finally, of course, they have to be experientially relevant, pragmatically true in today, right now, for you and for me. Origin, morality, purpose, destiny. They have to correspond with another. They have to be coherent. They have to have empirical data. They have to be relevant. And I explored and asked and questioned and confronted every view in my heart. I realized at 18, 19 that either this guy is who he says he is, either Jesus is very much the real thing, either he is the way, the truth, and the life, or he isn't. And I believe with all of my heart that he is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. He loves you with all of his heart. And then when you search and you wrestle and you 
and you discover, you will find that there is one worldview that stands above the rest, that answers these questions the way I would describe, and it is the Christian worldview that places identity and love on every person in here. I mean that. That's, it was Lewis who said, I was in search for a place, but I found a person. Grace and truth. And I, I do want to end this way. Final, final moments. As I close, I felt this urgency today, this morning actually, a pressing on my heart to tell you that again, I am a follower of Jesus. He did not point to truth. Okay, he claimed he was truth. And I felt like, even if, this, if these were the last words I ever spoke or something, I needed to say this to you. I want to share with you five truths. Five truths in my heart that I believe are truths for all of us. I believe that they're going to ring true in someone, that it's going to click finally for someone, that the transforming power is going to resonate so deeply in your heart, you will never run from the truth. You will always run towards the person of Jesus. So all across this room, would you stand with me? All across this room, would you stand with me if you can as I close and posture your heart Eyes closed, ready to receive. Ready to receive, church. Truth. You are created in the image of God. You are more than a speck of atoms that somehow happened. The Imago Dei, the, the image of God, you are a bearer, and your heart longs for eternity. You have specific purpose and gifts that God has crafted for you, truth. That you are his masterpiece, the Bible says. Created to do great works that he has prepared in advance. That's the truth. Truth, Jesus loves you. That he died on the cross for your sins and mine. And he also rose again, defeating death. And he desires surrender and relationship with you. Truth. The Bible is powerful. The Bible is engaging. It is truth-filled and relevant for today. Truth. No book has been under more scrutiny than the Bible, and no book has more spiritual vibrancy. Than, that, there's nothing that can awaken your soul like the Bible. It's truth. And finally, truth, the Holy Spirit wants to guide you today. Mom's in the house. Holy Spirit wants to guide you today. Dad's in the house. The Holy Spirit wants to go with you today. Parents, friends, brother or sister. Person who's come alone, who feels isolated. Person who is confident, tackling new goals. The Holy Spirit wants to go with you today. He wants to be a lamp unto your feet. He wants to guide you in all truth. He's calling you. He's asking you to listen to his voice, the voice of truth. There's nothing else. There's no other person to chase. God, we look to you now. We pray to you, Jesus. 
God, you said that I am the truth. God, you said that you are the way. Lord, you said that you are the door, that you are the resurrection and the life, that you are the great shepherd. God, you are bringing freedom and life and truth into this place because it is who you are. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray for that person who feels burdened by the different thoughts and feelings after this message. I pray in Jesus' name, softly and quietly and convicting God, in the only ways that you can, you would speak truth and life to every person in here. To the person who feels asleep, I pray you'd wake them up. To the person who feels dead, I pray you'd show them that you can become alive in Christ. For the person who just feels tired and weak because the weight of the world rests on their shoulders, it feels like, like Pilate, I pray for a hope and strength and an infilling of your, of your spirit, Lord. God, that there would be a move that we would always be a church that stands up for the truth. God, that stands up for the gospel and the good news. And I pray that every person in here would test the theory, would chase you down, and they would find you, God. That they would know that you are there every single moment. That you do see them, and you do bring hope and healing and guidance, God. And I pray in Jesus' name that we would be a church that stands the test of time. That as the, as the, the, the crowd gets louder, your truth and love would become much clearer in our hearts and that we would chase you with everything we have every day. God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for you, that you are truth. Would we never settle? Would we never look another way? Would we look to you, God, our, the author and perfecter of our faith? We lean into you. We love you. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, let's sing.